Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. G'day out there in podcast land. It's Ian here at the Australian Citizen Science Association Conference down in the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. And I'm here today with Jock McKenzie. I seen your video last night. You're into mangroves. I am. Yes. You're the mangrove man. I put the man in mangroves. We put the man in mangroves. <laughs> oh, fantastic. What are you doing with them like out there? So what we're doing with mangroves is about 13 years ago, myself and a fellow called Dr. Norm Duke established a program called Mangrove Watch, which was all about getting citizens, community members excited about mangroves because not many people were excited about mangroves even though we know that they're really valuable habitats and they're also threatened habitats. And so we developed this program to monitor what's going on with with our mangroves and our salt marshes around the the coast so that we can work with people to come up with local action plans to to help deliver local-scale projects that will help to protect those mangrove habitats into the future. Beautiful. And why... Did you get this interest with mangroves? Is it like as a little boy, you know, build cubby houses in mangroves or go mud crabbing or anything like that? I didn't actually know what a mangrove was until I was about 21. Okay. I grew up on a beef farm west of Brisbane, studied agricultural science when I went to university. Yeah. I just happened to get an internship, a volunteer internship at the Department of Primary Industries, but in the fisheries department. Oh, time. Then I started working in the marine habitat unit and got interested in mangrove policy and through there got gained an interest in mangroves, happened to coincide with going on a university field trip to Stradbroke Island and connecting with this Norm Duke fellow who seemed to know a lot about these habitats and um, got really interested in that these trees that live in the sea that are much more interesting than wheat and other <laughs> crops that we were studying uh, in other places and there was a whole lot of life there and everything just seemed so interconnected in such a small space between the land and the sea. So I changed my career path from agriculture to marine science. The rest is history. <laughs> Interesting. I haven't really had a good look into mangroves myself, but I have looked into them a little bit. I've got this fascination with history. I look at old photos, aerial photos. The earliest aerial photos are from Sydney Harbour. So Sydney Harbour back in 1929, 1930 got photographed. Now I look at those photos and it gives an idea of where the mangroves were and are. And I'm absolutely gobsmacked at the photos of where there wasn't mangroves in the 1920s now they're full of mangroves, and when there was full of mangroves, there's not full of mangroves. But up here on the Barrier Reef and in southern Queensland, there wouldn't be that sort of data from the 1930s in the aerial photos. There are historical maps and charts that were done by the first cartographers that were coming through, and um, there's journal entries from uh, people like Oxley going up the Brisbane River, yeah, yeah. documenting where mangroves were, but in the swamps and things that generally stop them getting ashore. So we do have some records there, and we can place those over our existing records and see what's changed. And I think what's important to note there in your observations of Sydney Harbour is our coasts are highly dynamic environments, and so what was there 20, 30 years ago is not going to be the same as there today. And some places mangroves 
mangroves are expanding and other places we're losing mangroves. So that, that is natural, just come and go on the coastline, like the sands are there and then the sands are yep. not. So that's, there's constant change and dynamics. I mean, if you go to some river systems, there's whole race courses that used to exist that are out in the middle of the river nowadays that never used to be there. But the important thing there is that um, in a lot of places where we've increased mangroves along our waterways because we've cleared a lot of the catchment and all that sediment has washed down into the the river where it's been trapped and stored by the mangroves and bound up and they've used that to grow and create a habitat uh, but what that's done is protected adjacent reef and seagrass and ocean oh, wow. habitats from all the bad stuff that we've been doing on the land so or well, the increased presence of mangroves is actually indicative of our our catchment land use so i like to call mangroves an end of catchment indicator because they can tell us what's the health of the mangroves and how much there are and when they're expanding or retreating tells us what's going on up in the the upper reaches of our estuaries and coasts. So we should get them a six-pack of beer for doing a good job. That's right. Everyone, whether they know it or not, has some connection and dependence on mangroves, and everyone owes the mangroves a beer, I reckon, because <laughs> uh, particularly all the people who are out there fishing, yep. if, you, if you love fish and fishing and you like eating prawns and crabs and seafood, then you're directly connected to mangroves because when you eat that fish or a crab or a prawn, then there's a little bit of mangrove in you. Oh, really? Uh, those fish and seafood species, most of the ones that we rely on the east coast of Australia particularly spend some or part of their life cycle in the mangroves or they eat something that did so the carbon that makes up those crabs that you've had for lunch came through the mangrove system and then into you. (laughs) Wow and is there any keystone or really important species that live in the mangroves that the mangroves need? Well, yeah, there are. So like I said, there's um, within the small space that mangroves exist, there's a whole lot of intricate connections and everything's interconnected. But there's one particular critter that's really important that no one pays much attention to. Everyone's fascinated by the big mud crabs. Whenever I talk about, uh, I work in mangroves, oh, you like to get muddies and get a few muddies out there, which is true. I do like to have mud crab and I've had fortunate uh, to be in places where they're abundant and delicious but there's a smaller crab that no one pays much attention to the little mangrove crabs that are scurrying about if ever you go to a mangrove forest you know that the forest floor has no leaf litter unlike a rainforest uh, where there's lots of leaf litter because every time a leaf falls on the mangrove forest floor it's gobbled up by a little mangrove crab because it's like woohoo lunch and it <laughs> takes that leaf and takes it into its crab burrow yep. sticks it on its burrow wall like wallpaper because I mean, they're fancy crabs but they're also growing bacteria and waiting for the leaf to break down then they eat that leaf in their burrow what goes in goes out. out they poop the leaf out underground and that fertilizes the mangrove tree more importantly these days for us it's taking carbon that's being trapped in those leaves so leaves are made up of mostly carbon plants let out oxygen that we breathe and take in the carbon so that carbon that's polluting our atmosphere is and creating global warming and it's being trapped in the mangrove plant in that leaf that leaf falls on the ground the crab grabs it takes it in the mangrove mud and that's where that carbon can stay forever so the little mangrove crabs are actually an important part of how mangroves can help us reduce the impacts of climate change i mean they've done studies where they've scientists back in the 70s evil evil scientists nasty things to crabs they removed all the crabs from these mangrove areas and when they did that the whole forest started to die and the, the health of the forest declined because, like I said, those mangrove crabs are fertilising the tree, but the crab burrows also help the mangrove forest drain. So that's called the, the mangrove pump. It means that there's not too much water sitting over those trees because if there's too much water 
that sits there for a long time, those trees will drown. So the crabs keep the forest alive, they keep the forest healthy, and they're also doing us a service by storing a lot of carbon. Again, if you like fish and fishing, then those crabs are also fish food. Oh, really? <laughs> Particularly the crab spawning, all their now ply that go out on the, the tides in those spawning cycles, are uh, the fish go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> and with the mangroves themselves, how many different species of mangroves trees would there be on the east coast of Australia? On the east coast of Australia, we've got 46 up in the Torres Strait, oh, wow. including some hybrids, so that's where species cross over. But, so we've got more than half of the world's mangrove species in Australia. There's only 80 mangrove species in the world and yeah more than half of them are within Australian waters on the and on the east coast of Australia but as you go south there are fewer mangroves so in Melbourne you've only got one species of mangrove but that one species grows all around the world pretty much well in the from all the way from the United Arab Emirates to New Zealand and, and, and Melbourne so uh, that's the grey mangrove okay yeah so you get fewer species as you go south do mangroves store more carbon than normal trees has anyone done that research oh very much so you might have heard the environment minister talking about mangroves which is a good thing because they're being touted as this solution to some of our climate carbon emissions that are driving climate change because mangroves store four to ten times more carbon than any other forest type and they can trap it up to 50 times faster and that's mostly because they have really high productivity they turn over their leaves really quickly because they're having to get rid of salt it's like you leave your car by the beach it gets rusty the leaves are getting rusty so they have to replace the leaves faster than they would if they were up in the hills so um, just like you would have to replace your car on the coast a lot faster those leaves turn over really quickly the crabs bury them or they get exported on the tide and the carbon that's stored in the mangrove mud because it's constantly wet and salty can actually stay there for a very long time so it doesn't get re-emitted back to the atmosphere so for every meter of mangrove mud that you go down you've effectively got a whole other forest in there so in some places talking before about sediment loads you can go down a lot of meters before you're hitting bedrock so there's just tons and tons of carbon stored there so they're doing the heavy lifting for us oh wow as far as climate change goes no that's interesting and do you have any plans or actions for the future our program is growing and developing as we're engaging more people and getting excited about mangroves so what we're doing now is we're not just monitoring mangroves and watching them die before our eyes and disappear we're actually working with communities to take that data and translate that into practical actions that can be delivered on the ground to protect these habitats so that they can keep putting the fish on your plate and taking the carbon out of the air, protecting us from climate change, cleaning our waters and protecting the Great Barrier Reef and protecting our coastlines from erosion and storm surge and all these wonderful things that they provide us that most people have no idea that these trees are so important to us. No, that's exactly right. Oh, I'm fascinated. Thanks for having a chat in and um, yeah, keep watching the groves. I sure will. And thank you, Jock. Mackenzie for putting the man back into mangrove. <laughs> You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.